Restored Gospel Podcast presents Stories of the Saints. I'm excited about our guest today, Brother Jack Hagenson. This is one of my favorite um, things to do, is to talk to people about their story and how Jesus has impacted their life. When we look at each other, uh, we see the eternal and all of the things around us that fade away. And when we look at people, we know we're seeing the handiwork of our Creator, and each one of us has a story of how He's worked with us, and I know Jack has a great story. Uh, I first met Jack about 20 years ago. He was one of the first people I met in Independence. What I remembered about him was his warm greeting, his smile, and uh, that hasn't changed in the past 20 years, and I've noticed when he meets other people, um, he greets them with that same love. And so I welcome Jack here today. Welcome, Jack. Thank you for asking me. It's a joy to be here. We were talking earlier a little bit about um, your childhood, and you had a number, you had a large family. Yes. uh, My mother actually had uh, 12 children. Uh, There were actually nine boys and three girls, and she lost two little boys that lived three and five hours. And we didn't know this, by the way, until we were adults, that, they, that she had lost people, just didn't talk about it much in those days, about losing those little ones. So uh, we grew up, I was, I was the youngest, next to the youngest, um, and uh, we just thought that there were just 10 of us, <laughs> seven <laughs> boys and three girls. But we had a wonderful family and a, a fine Christian family, too. Uh, my parents were Danish immigrants, and so we were Lutherans. Mm-hmm. And uh, but what was interesting about one of the first real experiences that I had in my life was uh, my father. He uh, quite often had to work on Sundays at the local paper mill in Camas, Washington. And so when he uh, couldn't go to church, why my brothers and sisters we would walk then to the Methodist church, which is a couple of miles away from our home, and. Uh, I had a wonderful Sunday school teacher there by the name of Mr. Fisher. I'll always be indebted to him for teaching me about Jesus at such an early age. But during the summer months, why, the, they didn't have Sunday school. And so Mr. Fisher, he said, if you children will read the New Testament, he said, I'll have a special gift for you at the end of the summer. Because during the summer months, we're going to be meeting with the Baptists and with the Presbyterians and revival meetings at the local campgrounds. And uh, so anyway, while I was reading that New Testament, uh, I just, as a kid, I just felt like I was there with Jesus. I just could hear him calling his disciples, come and follow me. And I thought, well, I want to be one of your disciples. Mm. And I offered a prayer and I said, Lord, I want to be with your apostles. I want to be with your disciples. And we move ahead several years here now when I found the restored gospel and uh, the local uh, city government in Camas uh, needed to expand their administrative buildings, and so they, our Methodist church was right next to their, or, excuse me, our, our church, the restored, reorganized church was right next door. We had purchased it from the Methodist. And uh, so they wanted to expand, and so they wanted our building, and so we had to give it up. But we purchased property outside of the city of Camas, it had about 10 acres there, and, and we had uh, developed a plans for a building and so forth. But in those uh, days of the church, why the apostle or the, the bishop, the, whoever was assigned to our area, they wanted to look at the plans and look at the property and make sure that everything was up to par and so forth. And so D. Blair Jensen, apostle, uh, was assigned to our area at that time. And uh, we lived in a neighboring town called Vancouver, Washington at the time. And Brother Jensen came over uh, after viewing the property and the, the plans and so forth. He was very happy with the, the building and the plans. And he said, I think we, there's, we need to go ahead with it. And so anyway, when we were walking back to his car from our home, why the Lord spoke to me and said, the prayer that you offered as a child is answered this day for one of my apostles was in your home. And so I remember that prayer that I offered as a child, that, Lord, I want to be with your apostles. And later on, my brother Jensen had been released uh, uh, from apostleship, and uh, they 
uh, ordained to be a patriarch. But anyway, the point being that uh, I wrote him a letter and, uh, and told him about my experience. And when I saw him at the next conference, he said, Jack, you don't know how much that meant to me. He said, because I was wondering if I really was an apostle. He said, because I was, you know, he was released when he was only age 62. And, uh, but he said that meant so much to me because I knew I was an apostle, but I had another testimony of it. Wow. And that, that, uh, I'm sure that prayer you, you had, uh, uttered long ago wasn't on the forefront of your mind that the spirit really brought that. I brought that to you to, to understand. Yes, and how the Lord never forgets our prayers. He's, you know, that was probably 19 years right. later, something like that. You know that Mr. Fisher, your Sunday school teacher, um, probably had no idea the life of service that, that you would give and all of the experiences you would have down the road with the Lord and that seed that he planted within you. Um, none of us know that, do we, when we're in contact with other people? no. But it, it bore good fruit in your life. Yes. It wasn't a born-again experience, but yet it was an experience mm-hmm. that made me believe, you know. And uh, well, You told me, and I, I've heard your, your testimony, but I want you to share it today. You, you were raised Lutheran, and so um, when you first came to know of the restored gospel, just talk, talk, to, talk to me about that. Yes, well, I had met uh, my wife uh, at a local—we uh, worked at the same place at the— uh, paper mill there in Camas, Washington. When I was <clears throat> going to college, I worked there part time and and so forth. But anyway, uh, I met her there. She was working on one of the, the machines there that made bag uh, paper bags. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, we visited for a while, and I asked her to go out. And uh, and uh, after a few visits there in the at the workplace, and uh, she said yes. And when we were out, I said, well, what church do you belong to? And she said, the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I said, what's that? And she said, what church do you belong to? And I said, well, the Lutheran Church. And in fact, I'm thinking about going into the Lutheran ministry. I've received the application for seminary and so forth, and I've completed enough college. So I'm thinking about going into the Lutheran ministry. And, and then we, we visited and so forth. Uh, and... Uh, and we continued to date and so forth. She'd uh, <clears throat> tell me about her church, and I'd tell her a little bit about what I knew uh, about how I was too happy with what she had <laughs> become <laughs> part of. And uh, anyway, well, we decided to get to, to get married. We got engaged, but we had uh, we we laughed about it when we when we we say this now, but. We always said we never argued, but our neighbors could hear us discussing things. And uh, anyway, uh, um, she gave me the ring back and uh, because there was just too much opposition and so forth. And I never wanted to become part of her church, and she didn't want to become part of mine. And uh, But anyway, I was invited. Uh, we continued to date off and on. I was invited to go to... A, uh, Paul Fischel, he was an elder there in Vancouver, Washington, later a patriarch in the church, but he, uh, he actually had married us. And uh, anyway, I was married, by the way, in the reorganized church as well. But uh, I was invited, and I found out uh, sometime later that this was an evaluation meeting. Mm. That <laughs> Anyway, after our visit and so forth, after dinner and so forth, why... I found out in a testimony that Lois, my wife, bore that um, she said, marry him. <laughs> and so anyway, we had a lot of interesting discussions, and uh, I really didn't want to have any part of the church at all, of her church. And, and, uh, and I remember her bearing a testimony years later that really was, there was a couple of major changes. She said, Lord, I can't do a thing with him. He's yours. Because she was talking about divorce almost every day because of the friction that I was causing. And uh, she became pregnant, and uh, we lost a little child in 1958, uh, in May of 1958. Mm. And uh, had the cord wrapped around his neck and so forth and was stillborn. Mm. 
But after that, we started praying together. And uh, by the way, uh, my wife had been an adopted child. Her parents, her uh, mother was from Denmark as well. And uh, by the way, she uh, had passage on the Titanic. But it was overbooked, and so she was on a sister ship, which was interesting. Oh, wow. And that sister ship was one of those ships that came and helped those that were... uh, Lives were preserved and so forth from the Titanic when it sank. But anyway, um, her mother had a kind of a breakdown where she was placed in an institution. My wife was only just a a few weeks old at the time. And uh, the neighbors noticed that she and her brothers and sisters were not being cared for. So the neighbors turned the family into the state. And her father was off... uh, in those days, helping organize unions and so forth, so he was not home all that much. And but anyway, the state came and they put the mother in, in an institution, and the children were all put in foster care. And my wife was placed in the uh, home with the, the Catholic nuns, where she was raised from like two months until about eight months when she was adopted out by this family, hmm. the Smith family, and. Uh, but anyway, uh, moving ahead to our experience, why she noticed there was quite a change, and uh, she said, would you be interested in reading a book? And I said, well, yes, I'd be interested. By the way, I was still going to Lutheran Church. I was helping out with the, the ministry there, giving the, the liturgy and so forth, and helping the pastor there. And uh, I was just dropping her off at her church and going to my church, but after that, why, when we were praying together and so forth, she, she asked if I would be interested in reading a book. And I said, yes, I, I would be. So she gave me the call at evening. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, that book changed my life because of the power of the testimony of that dear sister. The one thing that troubled me a great deal from the time that we had the revival meetings uh, when I was 10 or 11 years old in the Methodist church there, was that some of the traveling ministers would come through town and they would uh, talk about people who were not baptized were going straight to hell. They were lost forever. They didn't. That was it. Because you only have one chance in this life. While reading the call at evening, why one of the chapters points out very clearly about how Jesus and Peter, the second chapter descended into hell and preached to the spirits that were disobedient, some of who were disobedient in the days of Noah. And that really struck me. I thought, well, wait a minute here. Maybe everybody has a chance. Hmm. If they haven't heard it in this life, they're going to hear it in the life to come. And so uh, I continued reading the book. And uh, by the way, I started out about two in the afternoon. I read that book all the way through before I put it down. And uh, and my wife asked me if I'd like to have some cottage meetings. I asked her what those were, and, and she told me, of course, there were meetings where the, the elders would come and teach. And so I met with the elders, Brother Fischel, and once in a while another elder from the local Vancouver branch. And, and after a few months of study, everything just seemed to fit in place. I was still, by the way, attending the Lutheran Church, but Brother Fischel said, Jack, you're going to have to ask the Lord. I said, yes, I know. I knew that time was coming. I said, yes, I am going to ask the Lord. And I'll never forget uh, lying in bed that night. And I poured out my heart. I said, Lord, I don't care if my family disowns me. I don't care if all my friends disown me. I was singing with people uh, in the groups, different uh, groups, at the church there and other places. I had a lot of friends out of the church, the church as well. I said, I don't care if ever, all my friends disown me. I don't care. I have to know, is this work true? And I'll tell you, I thought I was literally, I was lying in bed. I thought literally I was going to be lifted up and thrust through the ceiling. The spirit was so strong. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're forgiven of your sins. And I was born again in an instant. Hmm. I was totally set free of my sins. I've sinned since, I know. I'm 
fall short of the glory of God, but I knew I was free. And I said, Lord, is this work true? He said, yes, this work is true. And I've called you to do a work for me. And I have a work for you to do. And I'll tell you, it was, and again, uh, it's just like it happened at these moments here. I can still feel that same spirit. But I went to my mother right away. My father had passed away in 1956, and this was in 1959. I went to my mother and told her that I was going to join this church, and she said, you're no longer my son. And that hurt, of course, but yet I knew because I was really kind of treating my wife in a way that I shouldn't be treating her before I came to a knowledge of the truth. I understood how my mother felt. She didn't know either, and my brothers and sisters didn't want to have anything to do with me either, and some of my friends then either. Of course, I quit going to the Lutheran Church and, and was baptized and had a wonderful experience at the Lewis River Campgrounds, the RLDS campgrounds in Washington, near Battleground, Washington. And I tell you, it was just a marvelous experience. It was in a mountain stream. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful time. I rejoice in that. But, you know, Mother's Day was real close to that time, and I went to back to the Lutheran Church that one day to sit by my mother and just I put my arm around her, and I said, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. And she said in her broken English, she says, Jacques, I can't give you up, but that terrible Book of Mormon's got a hold of you. <laughs> well, she didn't know either, but she did, couldn't give me up. And... I couldn't obviously give her up, and later over the years, when we go family functions, why the family's been asking me to offer prayers now, and so it's a much, much better relationship. None of them have become interested and so forth in the restored gospel, but we've been very close friends and very close family. But uh, I thank the Lord for that, too. Do you... Uh were, were any of your siblings interested in any other religion, or did they remain uh, true to the Lutheran religion? Or have you ever wondered what, um, how God seemed to have his finger on you and how you came to have the experience you did? Yeah. Well, uh, they were so steeped. Uh, of course, I was, uh, uh, had been in the military, and I'd uh, been uh, you know, with Protestant people, uh, so my mind was opened up uh, probably a little more from just the Lutheran Church mm -hmm. at the time, and I think that was part of the preparation as well. But uh, I, I know the, the timing of the Lord was perfect because, uh, by the way, that child, I have a testimony to bear quickly about that one too. Sure. My, our, we never named the child. I could say it was stillborn. And all the marker says there in the Camus Cemetery is, Baby Hagenson, 1958. And uh, by the way, my at the time of the death, my, my wife, she said, Honey, they had to remain in the hospital for three or four days. She says, I just can't take it because she was just one of that child so much, as I did, obviously. She said, You, you and your Lutheran ministry, go ahead and take care of the uh, service. And so we did. My family was there with me. But... I've visited that grave many, many times since then, and in this move ahead to 1994, I was we moved back to the center place here in 1975. That was another experience too. But uh, the uh, in 1994, well, I was asked to return to the Northwest to give a missionary series at our local branch there in Vancouver, and I stayed with my mother, and which in Camas, which was nearby. Uh, the, church there in Vancouver. But anyway, the point being that I would, every morning, I, I enjoy walking in the morning. Every morning I'd get up early and I'd go walk up through the family, the Camas Cemetery, where the family was buried. I had a brother that was killed in the Second World War that in Okinawa was buried there, and a, a brother and sister that had passed away that were buried there, and my parents, my dad by that time was buried there. And, but anyway, that I'd always stop at the baby's grave to make sure it was clean and so forth. And this was a Saturday morning. And I looked down at the baby's grave, and, and as I'm just looking at the grave, the same spirit that spoke to me and said, I was forgiven, said, his name is Joseph. Hmm. And what was so 
beautifully the timing and everything about that was so wonderful because the next day after I spoke in the, in the morning at Vancouver and took a plane back from Portland, flying to Salt Lake City to change there, then to return to Kansas City from Salt Lake City. But on the plane from Portland to uh, Salt Lake City, there was a young lady sitting next to me. And we were visiting. I always like to share with people. And uh, she was reading a good Christian book, and all of a sudden she just stopped and she said, Jack, I need to tell you something. She said, when I was 17 years old, I had an abortion. And she says, I know I've been saved. I know I've been forgiven. But she says, what about my baby? And I said to her, I said, your baby has a name. I told her what happened to our baby, who never saw the light of day either. And she says, now I know why you're on this plane. Mm -hmm. And she pulled out of her purse her business card at that time, in 1994, she's probably the manager now, but in 1994, she was the assistant manager of an adoption agency. She was helping parents who couldn't have children to be able to adopt and so forth. But God's timing is always perfect. And I'll never forget that experience as well. That is, that's amazing. Right, right when you needed to know that all the times the Lord could have told you that. But he told you, and the next day that happened. Yeah. You, uh, I know you've had so many experiences in your life, and we could fill up hours, I'm sure, sharing those. Um, you've been to some different countries on yes. trips. Uh -huh. what, what countries have you been to? Well, I've been uh, to uh, Australia, been there twice. I've been to Taiwan six times, mm. and to China one time and the Scandinavian countries uh, two times, and uh, been to uh, Great Britain and Wales, uh, and uh, Canada. Uh, I think I've covered most of the bases there. <laughs> have, have, do you have a favorite place you've traveled to? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the, the amazing experience that uh, we had, uh, uh, and this was, I had a dream, and uh, in this dream, I knew that I was in China, and uh, we were in prison, and the guard came up to me and put a pistol up to my head, and he said, you will be shot in the morning. And I knew the reason why we were there was because of our belief in Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> anyway, uh, this is one of the trips that I made with Dan Brotherton over to uh, Taiwan, um, and uh, anyway, uh, well, by the way, at the the dream, uh, at the just towards the end of the dream, we had been all released, and we were all dancing in the streets, and we were so happy as we had been released. So that was a good part of the dream, of course. And, but when Dan and I arrived in Taiwan, Lyle and Sherry Smith were assigned to uh, Shanghai, China, and they were in charge of building the first pediatric hospital there. And so while we were in Taiwan, why, um, Lyle called and he said, could you bring some Book of Mormons with you into China? We'd like to share them with the people here if we have opportunity. And Brother Wong had, from uh, China had, uh, uh, <coughs> had translated the Book of Mormon into uh, Chinese and so forth. And so Brother uh, Dan and I, we packed our suitcases full of the... Uh, Many as we could get in the suitcases and put our clothing over top of them and so forth. And, and of course, we offered a prayer and said, Lord, if you, you've got to get those books into China, we know you, we need your blessing to do that. And uh, I thought that perhaps if we were a place that we might get arrested, might be going through customs and they were to see those books and like the didn't like to see the Bible and so forth and any Christian book. And, but anyway, uh, on the, when we flew from Taipei to Shanghai, there were over 300 on the plane. There were probably maybe 10 or 15 Caucasians, something like that on the plane. And there was probably, when we went through customs, there were probably five to 10 Caucasians ahead of me. And all the rest were, were Chinese, of course. 
But when we got up to the agent, the agent just waved his hand. They, well, by the way, they were opening every suitcase. Mm. They were opening every suitcase, and I mean they were taking their hands and spreading the clothing apart and so forth and looking in the suitcases because on our visa, it stated that if you're caught with drugs, the penalty is death. Wow. And I didn't even carry aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, as we were going through customs there, they were opening every suitcase until they got to me and the agent just waved his hand for me to go through. He did not open my suitcase and I looked purposely behind me to Dan and he waved Dan through as well. And I looked purposely behind Dan and they start opening every suitcase again. It's incredible. So the Lord wanted those Book of Mormons into China. So we had a wonderful experience there with Lyle and Sherry. Mm. And, uh, they shared some of those books, I'm sure, with people. Wow. That's a... Have you noticed among your travels um, any similarities among people or differences or in their hunger for the Lord? Oh, by the way, another place I'd been to three times is the Philippines. Oh. <laughs> and yes. And you know, um, the need is the same. The need for Jesus is the same all over the world. And you know, in these third world countries where we went into the, when we were in the Philippines and some in the back areas and the rural areas where their homes were just studs standing up and they, some of them had uh, plywood on the side of them and some, I noticed one just had cardboard. Mm. But, you know, one thing that they were washing their clothes in the streams and things like that too. But, you know, they were so friendly and so open to us and we always, about every time we went over there, we had several baptisms. Really did was able to share the gospel with them, and and it was really marvelous because they they had a need there. Uh, you know, many times the those who are not so affluent are more receptive <laughs> than those who've got everything. You know what I mean, Jack? What would you say? How would you uh, pretend you're sitting on the bench next to someone at at um? that maybe doesn't even know Jesus, what would you say to them on why that would be important in their life to get to know them? Well, you know, them? Um, it's interesting that you ask that because, you know, I think every day we need to be aware that there are people that have those kinds of needs. And I can just uh, share with you a, a couple of experiences that uh, happened here uh, uh this one was when my wife, Lila, was still living. She passed away September 4th this past year. And what a blessing she was in my life. But uh, uh, we both worked, uh, she worked over at Nature's Pantry at that time. And I was doing marketing for Surpro. And uh, we'd have lunch together. And uh, usually after we finished our lunch, it was uh, sack lunches and we would uh, sometimes lay the seat back and maybe take a little nap. And I, I was just getting ready to take a little nap, and there was a knock on the uh, the window of the car. And here was a man that had a sheet of paper in his hand, and he, he I rolled the window down, of course, and he says, can you tell me where 4,000 Little Blue Parkway is? And I said, yes, well, that's just up the road here a little ways. He said, well, I'm an Iraqi. And he said, I'm out of the military now. And he said, I'm trying to get back in because I was an interpreter in the military for seven years. He said, I'm trying to get back in. He said, I found Jesus as my Savior. He said, I can't go back to Iraq. They'll kill me because I'm a Christian. He said, my parents have disowned me because I've accepted Jesus. But Lila, my wife, says, get in. So he got in the back seat and... and uh, we drove over to, it was, a, it was a recruiting station for the military, 4,000 Little Blue Parkway. And we had prayer together, and of course he wanted to pay us and everything else. And uh -huh. Lila held his hand in my hand, and she offered a most beautiful prayer for him. Mm -hmm. And she went back the next day. Uh, I asked her to go back, see if we could find out if he got in. Well, they couldn't tell her officially, right. but they did indicate that he did get back in. But that man... Brother Mike had walked all the way from the sports complex where he was living there 
near there, all the way up to Nature's Pantry, which is about three miles, something like that. Yeah, three, three uh, not easy miles either. Yeah, right, up came, and down, and right, came mm. to came to our car, and and uh, another time I was in in line here, <clears throat> going through the credit union, and now I would like to say, away. My son makes the statement, by the way, Don, he always makes the statement, well, if dad's in a line with, in a grocery store, you know, by the time he gets out of the line, he's best friends with the people ahead of him. <laughs> and, uh, well, I was in line at the at United Consumers Credit Union, and uh, there was a, a black lady in front of me, and I said to her, I said, I sure hope you're putting something in because I'm taking something out. <laughs> She says, I'm sorry, I'm putting something in too, or I'm taking something out too. She said, I'm sorry. But she dropped her head. And uh, if you'll pay attention to people, you can tell by looking at them there's what's going on in their life. And I said, is everything okay? She said, not really. She said, right now, she said, my son is flying to Iraq. She said, my mother died two weeks ago. And she said, I have terminal cancer. So we got out of line, took hold of her hands, and we prayed. And she said, what church do you belong to? And I told her, Living Hope, Jesus, Church of Jesus Christ, Living Hope Restoration Branch, and to where it was at. And she said, well, do you take people of color? And I said, we certainly do. We have some attend. And so I said, you need to meet my, meet my wife. So after we finished our business there, we walked out the car. Next thing I knew, they had their arms around each other. Mm. So God works in wonderful ways. I, she's never been to, I haven't seen her at our church. Or, but, you know, those little times, uh, you know, can mean a lot in eternity, too, for each one of us. Well, just like uh, Mr. Fisher, your Sunday school teacher, planting yeah. seeds, you and your wife, uh, planted some seeds, and, and who knows what kind of a testimony, or if, if she's even with us still, that, that you know you were a blessing to her. That's What is it, Jack? It, we all have different gifts and talents, and do you think that the Lord gave you just a gift to be open with people, or do you feel like if it wasn't for Jesus in your life that um, maybe you wouldn't be so um, willing to respond to people or so in tune to them? Well, I think it's because of of salvation because of what the Lord has done in my life. I, I, you know, I want to be ready to give a reason, as the scripture says, to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't have to talk about Jesus a whole lot. You can just tell people good morning and have a smile on your face. And, uh, you know, many times you get opportunities just because you do that, say things to them. And uh, but uh, the Lord always opens the doors. Those that are ready to hear, He'll let you know who needs to hear and who wants to hear. I should say. And you don't have too much trepidation, do you, as, as far as talking to strangers and opening no. up conversation? No, I don't. I, you know, I, I, have, I try to be careful if they don't want to talk to me. Obviously, if I say good morning to them, they don't answer back. Why, you know, so forth. But you know. Most people are pretty attentive and so forth and uh, friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, your dad and I, we walk, you know, together quite often, and uh, we meet people where we walk and had some real good conversations with people just while we were walking who we'd never seen before or met before. You know what I mean. Yeah. What, um, what's been your greatest joy since coming to know the Lord? Well... I think the greatest joy is to know uh, about his glorious work. You know, that there's something for everyone. There's something for everyone. And the Lord doesn't want anybody to be left out. And I think of the experience of John the Baptist when he was baptizing Jesus. He didn't want to baptize him to begin with. You remember, it's in Matthew, third chapter, and Jesus said, no, let it tougher to be so, John, for it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, John, I want you to share in this intimate experience with me. And I believe that's what the Lord wants us to be very, he loves us so much. I mean, beyond anything we've ever imagined. 
and he wants us to be all to be part of of his body of the church of his kingdom of the kingdom to come zion and the city he wants us all to be with him he doesn't want anybody left out it's uh i think the um why why do you think it's so hard for people to feel or to understand the love of god because um you know, when, when you feel and understand you're loved by your Heavenly Father, your whole life changes, right? Yes. Why, why do people have a hard time understanding that? Um, is it the work of the adversary to get us to focus on our sins? Um, a lot of people beat themselves up because of what they do that is wrong, and it separates them from the Father. You know, Jesus said, I come not into the world to condemn, right? And yet we know that there's a certain guidelines and things we need to live by, certain, and we fall short every day. How do you, what do you tell people about how to keep going on when they make mistakes and, um, and to look forward? Well, uh, uh, I just, one of the reasons why I'm able to do that, you know, sometimes I, even the saints hold on to their past. I had an experience at, uh, East Alton Church a number of years ago, uh, a man by the name of Ray Zinzer was a professor at Grayson College, and he was called Zion Zinzer. Mm-hmm. Had many meetings with, with Ray, by the way, and he certainly was a man who cherished the kingdom. And uh, <clears throat> But Ray was talking about the passing of Arthur Oakman, and he had received a letter that <clears throat> from a high priest in the church that he had a dream where he saw Arthur going to the courts of glory, and he was embraced by Jesus. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Arthur, you've done well. And Arthur's response was, oh, I wish I could have done more. And at that moment, I, I, I can't explain it to you, but I can tell you what happened. I left that building. Hmm. I was caught up to the courts of glory, and Jesus was embracing me. And I was before I, I was thought it in my mind, and the Lord was already answering it before I could get it to my tongue. I just thought it, Lord, forgive me. And he called me by name, and he said, Jack, don't you know that I've forgiven you of all those things? We hang on sometimes to the past. We really don't forgive. And I think that's, you know, a lot of it, of course, as you're speaking of people, and uh, seem to kind of, hard to, to communicate with or very shallow in their thinking or so caught up in the things of the world. Um, it's their, uh, you know, the homes are so important. And you see so much in our homes where we're, uh, we're caught up in the things of the world so much. Uh, I know, uh, and I'm not belittling because it's just, it's just something that I've noticed that even in our day and time where you could be out with a family for dinner with their children and so forth, and the children are have their cell phones, mm-hmm. they're, they're watching these things, and sometimes even the parents, while the other parent is speaking, they're, they're looking at their uh, cell phones, you know, and, and uh, uh, it's uh, really the center of, of the kingdom is, is really not our own individual lives, but our homes, individual homes. And I think that's one reason why people, of course, who have not heard, you know, they are going to hear. But we, I think, need to be aware that, uh, like with my neighbors now, none of them have been baptized, my neighbors, but I've had six funerals with my neighbors, wow. of the passing of the different, different neighbors and so forth. And uh, communicated with them and so forth. And so your neighbors know you're a minister. Yes, uh-huh. and they've asked you to preside at, yes, at funerals and, 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 okay. and a wedding, and a wedding too, a couple of weddings. Wow. And uh, one a quick experience that was just meant so much to this man. But you know that he has such a marvelous example right at his home. Uh, it was Bert and Ora Snelling, who's our next door neighbors, and. Uh, <clears throat> Bert motioned for me to come over, or Aura, excuse me, or the husband motioned for me to come over, waved for me to come over to the fence, and I went over there, and he says, Jack, I don't know about all this stuff. 
And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, about all this stuff, life. I says, oh, oh, that's right. I heard that you had a relative that passed away. Is that what you're talking about? He says, yes. And I said, Aura, you have one of the best examples of eternal life, of the resurrection I've ever seen. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know that Jesus came out of that tomb, right? Yes. I said, do you remember last year you widened your driveway about four or five feet? And there were daffodils that were growing right along where you, and you went and dug them up and you went and poured gasoline in there, made sure that they were all burned out, that all the bulbs were gone and everything. Well, what happened this last spring? He said, what do you mean? I said, you didn't get all the bulbs, did you? Because they came right up, some of them through the blacktop. I said, if you are alive in Jesus Christ, nothing's going to keep you down. He's going to resurrect you. And he's going to take you to his home, the courts of glory. And I've always appreciated those flowers. They're still there today. (laughs) Came up through the blacktop. Yes, and it's all split up and all broke up real bad now. But but I really appreciate that, uh, how the Lord uses different things to you know, to that we can bring to people. You shared, you've already shared two or three uh, fantastic testimonies that if, if a lot of people would have just one of those in their life, wow. Um, what do you think about the younger generation? When I say younger, I don't, I don't necessarily even mean kids, but even, you know, um, saints in their thirties or forties or even fifties that um, haven't, Jack, haven't, had those kinds of testimonies in their life, you know what? Why why are we not hearing these miracles today? Do you have any ideas on that, or or are we just not looking? Well, I think it's partly partly that we're not looking, but also I think we're uh, as the Bible talks about having one foot in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes we got almost our second foot in the world as well, and uh, there was we're so caught up in in. Uh, uh, you know, the, the financial, making a living, so caught up in, uh, you know, in sports now. That's, you know, not that I've enjoyed sports all my life. I coached for a while, several years and so forth. But we're, you know, some we've got so many idols, it seems like, that have taken us away from the true God. You know what I mean? That our focus is not where it should be. And, and uh, uh Again, in our in our homes, uh, you know, one of the things I bear a quick testimony about my eight year old daughter at the time. Uh, we had family uh, had altars, a family worship center, and so forth. The priest came into our home and taught us that to set up a family altar, and we certainly did. And we'd pray there every day and so forth. And I came home from I worked in the lab and research for thirty four years and. I came home from work is when we lived out in Washington, and uh, <clears throat> and it was raining that day. And as I was ready to step into the front door of the house, I could hear that my my wife and my oldest daughter were just really something was going on where they were almost screaming at each other. And I opened the door and I said, "What's going on in here?" in a pretty loud voice. And our eight-year-old daughter said, "Daddy, read this to Leslie." And so I, she had the scriptures open to the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Honor your father and mother. And so forth. So, so it may be well with thee and so forth. And I read that and man, it just touched my heart. I placed it on my wife's lap. She read it. She started crying. I placed it on Leslie's lap and she started crying. Next thing I knew, we had our arms around each other and people asked family asking for forgiveness. But here was an eight-year-old <laughs> that actually was prepared for my coming home. <laughs> and was, was, she knew uh, really what, how important it was to honor it as eight-year-old, honor your parents and to children to obey the parents and the Lord and so forth. And so the, the, I think a lot of it is the where our focus is in our homes. You know, it's certainly not on the the thing that should be focused on. There's a lot of good families, obviously, but there's a lot of families that, 
And I, th I think another thing that would be very important is, is that I think the priesthood need to be spending more time in the homes too. They really do. Yeah. Well, the, um, you've seen a lot of changes in the church since you first came in. And, um, but I, if I were to ask you where your hope is, I know it, I probably know what your answer would be. Uh, with all of the changes and things, um, I'll just share, you know, you presided at my aunt's funeral last year, and I know that your sweet wife, Lila, had passed away just just a couple weeks later after that. And uh, you gave me a hug at the funeral, and, and, and you had that same smile and said, Brother, there's a lot of work to do. And I know you're hurting inside, and yet there's an abiding joy within you that keeps you, keeps you going. Well, uh, it's not our joy. Mm -hmm. It is our joy, but yet, you know, we know where the, the fountain is. It's Jesus. That, and that's why I like to tell a lot of people, it's not about me. I, I received counsel one time before I was pastor of the Enoch Hill Congregation. And I will never forget it by J Brother John Jordan, a 70 in the church. Mm -hmm. And he said, Jack, people like you, they love you. And they're going to say so many nice things about you. Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> and, you know, I've always appreciated that because it's like when my two companions, you know, Lois passed away in 2005, and, uh, you know, they were my counselors too. I certainly counseled with them, but they had so many things that I needed to listen to. And... Uh, I just appreciate that so much in the home, you know, and time that we spent together alone, too, you know. Mm -hmm. So you haven't let it go to your head? <laughs> well, I hope not. I don't want it to. I don't want it to I, because you, it needs to go to our heart. You always bear positive witness to the Lord and give credit to Him any time I've heard you. Um, what do you... Uh, if you had one question to ask God... What would you ask him? I I think the question I would ask him is, uh, who can I witness to next? Mm. You know, George Thomas taught me that, the 70 in the church. We were on a trip out west together, visiting the isolated saints. It's been a number of years ago, before a lot of these different groups started. <laughs> but anyway... Um, George it was just bearing testimony to me. We were looking, going into Washington State at this particular time, looking for the Arnold Rhodes home. Uh, they, that's uh, Bill Rhodes's parents and so forth. And uh, but anyway, I, George shared with me. He says, "You know, Jack, I pray so often. Is this the one? Is this the one you want me to witness to?" And we were <clears throat> in Washington and. And we decided, because uh, we didn't know the exact address and we where the place actually was, and we had a general idea, but we thought, well, we're going to stop here. And, and I went into this Burger King. And I, as I walked in the door, I, it was, I was the only person there with the, <coughs> the waiter and so forth behind the, the uh, Hispanic lady behind the counter. And, and she said, can I help you? And well, I had already asked, I said, Lord, is this the one? Well, she dropped her head, and I said, is everything okay? And she said, not really. And she started sharing some things with me and what was going on in her life. And we had prayer together and so forth. And I said, uh, I gave her the address here of the roses, and after the prayer and everything, it was over with, of course. And, and uh, I said, can you tell me where this address is? And she said, oh, it's down here a couple blocks to the right. And and uh, no, she told me exactly how to get there. <laughs> but you know, the, the Lord just opened that door for a little bit of time to share mm -hmm. with her and her with me, of course. And I think that's one of the things, too, that uh, uh, I can share quickly, too, that I came back from the Philippines. Uh, this would have been in, <clears throat> in, uh, three years ago in the fall. And and uh, I said, Lord, why haven't I had any cottage meetings? And I hadn't had any for a few years. 
And the response was, because you're not asking. I had three families on my heart that I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it. Well, I tell you, I called those three families and I had three cottage meetings going the next week. <laughs> and now two of those families have been baptized and two of the, the, the fathers are in the priesthood, both of them now. And uh, the other family we're still working with. And, <clears throat> but uh, the point being that, um, you know, I, sometimes I don't think we're listening either. When, when we, that's one thing that I've really have learned to do, and that's because I've been taught too by the Lord and by good old-time missionaries. Is you taught, but also let people talk. Let them share their life with you, so you and listen. And then the Spirit will guide you into what to say and to do, you know, as you listen to what they have to say, what their difficulty might be or one of the hang-ups between far as the restoration is concerned in their life or whatever, you know. And uh, I've always appreciated that. Mm. So there's still, there's still work to be done, and oh. there's still people that respond, even, even in the society today where people's hearts, it seems, are getting harder and harder. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the Lord never gave up on me, and I'm sure he hasn't get, I know he hasn't given up on you, Mike. <laughs> And he hasn't given up on anyone. And there's, it's always a time that comes in a person's life where there could be a crisis, there could be something uh, that, uh, you know, uh, will open up their heart. And another, another experience that I could share here is uh, uh, I was pastoring at Enoch Hill, and we had, oh gosh, I think it was 175 priesthood in the branch, and over a thousand members, we started two services and so forth, and it was a very, very busy time, and the phone was just ringing all the time. My family was going through quite a bit too, and when I got home from work this particular night, I had supper, and just the phone rang a couple times during the supper time too. <laughs> but anyway, uh, after supper, why a lady called, and sister, and she wanted to be administered to us, so I got another elder, and. I suppose we got back about 8.30, something like that, and the phone rang again, and here was uh, another sister called, and and she was just uh, weeping over the phone because her husband was an alcoholic and having all sorts of difficulties and so forth, and they were separated. And, and so I got another elder, and she wanted to be ministered to. We went over and administered to her, and, and uh, I was... At that point in time, I was working at 7 in the morning. I started work at 7, so I was getting up about 5, 5.30 to, to drive the 40 minutes to work. And, and uh, anyway, the phone rang again. It was about 9.30, something like that, and it was her husband, the one that, the alcoholic. And he just was weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping over the phone. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose everything. I can't stop just drinking. I just can't stop. And... Uh, so anyway, we, I tried to get a few words in and so forth, and we had prayer over the phone, you know, and I'll tell you, the well was dry mm. over that phone, after that, and I said, Lord, I can't take it anymore. And the Lord spoke to me again, and he said, My servant, you can't carry the burdens of my people, but I can. Mm. And I thought, man, I can't even carry my own here, you know, I thought I was turning things over to the Lord, but you know, you really got to release them through the Lord. What? Um, we're we're almost at an hour already, Jack. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I don't. You know, you talk about cell phones and boy, technology can take us away from the Lord. I use this phone every day to listen to podcasts, and um, I don't know how many people listen to this. I hope a lot. I don't know from from where or who or or when, but if you had an opportunity right now to say something to the saints um, of all the different branches and denominations um, that that have broken off, uh, what what would you what message of hope would you give to them? Well, I I think the 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 real message is the fact that uh, many times we can be. Uh, walking in paths that uh, we thought were right, and as we started walking in them, we got involved. Just like the after the dark and cloudy day, you know, after Joseph was killed, the prophet was killed, 
There were many factions started and different men started and so forth. Uh, and uh, some would go be at the, with this group for a while and they found out that wasn't right and then they'd go to another group and, and you know, most of those people ended up in the reorganization, you know. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that God's promises don't change and that if we keep our focus upon Christ, we can find a lot of fault you know, with each other if we want to find fault. But uh, it's just like uh, I heard uh, something yesterday or day before yesterday over television that really touched me. That was Dr. Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. He was telling about how he was <coughs> rarely ever ate at, at, uh, uh, <coughs> at McDonald's, but he said he was in a hurry, so he was going in there to get a quick bite to eat and going through the drive through and as he started to turn in, there was another lady who turned in about the same time as he did, and she, he said that she thought he, he really had was a little bit ahead of her, but he, she thought he'd cut her off. And she rolled down her window and just cussed at him and swore at him and called him a number of names and gave him several unfriendly gestures and so forth. And he, he just it really kind of upset him. But he got up to the, the window to pay for his order. He said something I thought was really very touching. He said, I want to pay for the woman's order that's behind me. And so he paid for her order. And he watched purposely as he pulled ahead. He just looked in the rearview mirror. And he said there was just a complete different look, an expression that woman couldn't believe what this person had done. And I think we can get caught up in the emotions of the time of saying we're right and they're wrong and so forth. But I think here again... Uh, uh, we know the Lord's church is true. You know, there's no question about that. He established the church in the latter days. But I think we have to be patient with each other and keep working at it, not giving up on each other. We may disagree with uh, things that other people are doing, but that doesn't mean we stop loving them. Because there may, and it's happened to me where people have helped, helped me out of situations sometimes when could be financial or other things. I, out of the blue, they helped me. And I never counted on that. But the Lord knows what's going on. And he's going to, he'll bless us one day. He prays, these promises, the scripture promises that, that one day we'll be one. If we're not one, we won't be as a course. But. Well, Jack, I, uh, I thank you for, for coming here and sharing your story. And sharing the story of what the Lord has done in your life. Um, you have any parting words of wisdom for us? Yeah, well, uh, I well, just want to share one thing real quick with you about sure. my, my father. Um, he was a disciplinarian, and uh, he sometimes was pretty rough on us. Uh, and he didn't. He loved us. He provided for us and so forth. But one of the things that has really touched me is the fact how God never gives up on us. And uh, I prayed for several years about my father as he accepted the gospel. And we gathered into the center place in 1975. We spent our last New Year's Eve with my mother. Uh, and she always fixed a nice Danish smorgasbord for the family. We'd get together on New Year's Eve and so forth. And while we were sitting down to eat that family, by the way, they asked me to offer the blessing, <laughs> which I did. And as we were sitting down there to eat, why, all of a sudden I felt the presence of a personage in the room. And as close as you are to me, Mike, here five, six feet apart, while there was my father standing. Mm. Like I say, he'd passed away in 1956, and I came into the church in 1959. But my father had a, he was bald just like me when I knew him. He had a full head of dark amber hair. He had on a beautiful white garment. And I'll tell you, the smile that he had on his face was so glorious. Not a word was spoken. 
But the prayer that I offered for several years, I think it was 19 years, was the fact that I said, Lord, Lord, what about my father? Has he accepted the gospel? Is he happy with what I'm doing? And uh, the answer was yes to both of those. And, you know, I believe that we need to be encouraged rather than discouraged, even though we're living in real tumultuous times. But again, focus, focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And his focus will be on us too, of course. That is a message of hope, and I think that's a a good message to to just leave and ponder on. Jack, thank you for your life. Thank you for your story. Thank you for sharing part of that story today. Well, thank you for the privilege. I mean that. Thank you. <laughs>